know, it's always a hard transition. We're celebrating the reality that uh, so many good things are happening in our midst. I'm uh, delighted beyond belief at the generosity of Southside towards the Jen Edmonds project. Um, I've, I've seen evidence of pastoral care from one to another throughout the week. Friday prayer has just lots of energy. Live like that is exceeding our expectations. Uh, we've received the West Kelowna uh, congregation very well. We have uh, increasing numbers of guests with us on Sunday. We can keep going. There's just so much to thank God about. And I believe there's even better times ahead of us. And so uh, let's not stop praying. Uh, because we believe that it's not our hard work that sees results. It's, it's actually us getting down on our knees. And so we just see fruit from our days of prayer and from Friday prayer and from increased prayer and mission groups. And, and so let's not stop. And um, just one quick prayer uh, answer to prayer that I've just got to tell you about. So uh, we were all praying uh, for the meetings with the developers on Friday around our Imagine Edmonds um, project. And I have to tell you that one of our consultants has been working really, really hard and encouraging me to take an approach for the church that, you know, doesn't just sort of settle for, hey, that's a good deal, but um, swings for the fences. And uh, the other, the other uh, sort of contractor or consultant that we had said, well, that's a great idea, but I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's ever going to go for something like that. That just feels like way too far. And in our first meeting, our first meeting with the developer on Friday morning at Edmonds, this developer came and they literally started off their presentation with, hey, we've been thinking about this and we think the best thing for the church, the best thing for the neighborhood would be and they articulated it the same way as we had hoped for. It was, it, you know, you could not have scripted it any closer. And it was just a very, very clear sign of God's presence and God's favor. So I just thought I would share that with you as, uh, as we begin this morning to give you good news of what God's up to. Let me pray. I know Nicole's prayed, but I just want to thank God for that reality of uh, God at work, even in the Imagine Edmonds thing. So Lord, you've heard our prayers. We're coming before you. We want to be transformed by the power of your spirit. But we just say thanks for all the good things that you're doing. For all those things that I listed, and, and Lord, how can, we, how can we not stop and say, we believe that you have something ahead of us in the Edmonds area, and that you are paving the way for that. So help us to be diligent to pay attention and to just give you praise. Not just to pray that everything works out, but to thank you when we see evidence of your hand at work. So we say, yay, God, thanks for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Shelly. You hit what? Mute? Cam, I think you hit mute. Or somehow it became quiet, so. There we go. Sorry about that, gang. What happened there was, uh, I think, when we started recording or something like that. So, okay, we're back. Um, we started last week into this new series, the Shema, Loving God with All of Our Hearts, and the whole idea of worship. And so Devin talked to us and began to tell us about our affections and how they get shaped by worship. 
and love the way we ended that last time where we were just talking about worship translating into singing, into thanksgiving, and into surrendering to one another. So this week we're into week two, and we're going to continue to look at who God is. And this week, the reality that God, because he loves us so much, reveals himself, makes himself known to us. And therefore, when we learn to love him with our minds, it's actually this pursuit of him, pursuit of knowledge about him, but even better than that, pursuit of knowledge of who he is, a relationship with him. So we say we love God with all of our minds and all of our wills. And what that translates to is this process of discipleship. Oh, it's more than just thinking, but it's about taking these thoughts and putting them into practice. It's this surrendering of our will to his will. You know, we've quoted that Tozer quote a number of times. Shelley quoted it again this morning. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. But I got to thinking about that. And I said, you know what? I don't agree with Tozer. I think it's better than that. I think he's partly right. He's halfway there. But friends, if our thinking doesn't translate into action, then it's perhaps not even the right thinking. So that's what we're going to push at today. Sometimes we in the West, because of the Enlightenment, what we've done is we've said, we're going to think our way into acting. But sometimes in discipleship, we act our way into thinking. Well, let me make it practical for us so you have a clue what I'm talking about. Let me start here. So what's the difference? What's the difference between being smart, intelligent, or wise? Now, I'll just speak slowly for a minute as you sort of start to process those. And in your head, you think through, okay, what does it mean to be smart? What does it mean to be intelligent? What about wise? And I might offer to us that smart is this quick-witted sort of making the right decisions in the right moment. Intelligence is having the capacity to be able to think and to process things well. But wise or having wisdom, hmm, that's making the right judgments or being able to discern what God's will is. Let's frame it a different way. How do you make decisions in your life? I remember when I was uh, probably mid-teens, 15, 16, somewhere in there, my mom gave me a book. It was called The Christian Response, and it was by a Catholic priest. And in this book, one of the key concepts, some of you have heard me talk about this before, was just this, uh, how do we build a foundation on which we make decisions? What is that foundation made of? And this author talked about the fact that sometimes we make decisions emotionally or physically, Sometimes we make them rationally, and sometimes we learn to make them spiritually. Now, put it into practice and make it concrete. Uh, pretend you're needing food and you're going to go grocery shopping. You know full well that you should never go grocery shopping and make emotional decisions. Uh, most of us do. We get the cart and we start walking around and then we see something we like and we make an emotional decision. We didn't come for that. But okay, we throw that in the cart too. And you know full well, we've always said, uh, don't shop when you're hungry, because then your basket seems to be about twice as big as it usually is, right? We, we impulse buy. Now, that's just grocery shopping. Okay, we can kind of get away with that. And it doesn't necessarily affect the length of our, you know, the whole length of our life. But there are bigger decisions at times, right? 
like sometimes with cars or other big purchases, or what about even with marriage? Now, if we're back in the grocery store, uh, we, we go with a shopping list. You know, we, we're going to take a rational approach. It's likely better to shop when we're food shopping with a little bit more of a rational approach, but sometimes that's boring. You know, sometimes we'd really like to just you now treat ourselves to something. Um, so emotional, rational. But this book that I had told you about articulates the fact that it's not wrong to make emotional decisions or not wrong to make rational decisions, but it's best to make spiritual decisions. Spiritual decisions when we have surrendered our will. See, it's not surrendering our will and making spiritual decisions is not devoid of emotions or rational thinking, but they're secondary to what God wants. You see, that's what Matthew chapter 28 was talking about when we talked about discipleship a few weeks ago. Do you remember the verse where it says that Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, really he, he was saying training them to obey all that I have taught you uh, as well. We make decisions in our lives based upon a foundation, a platform. This platform is known as a worldview. And it's important that if we're going to follow Jesus, we develop a God-honoring foundation, one that reflects his nature and was modeled to us by Jesus. That's what he's talking about in chapter 28. Teaching them, training them to obey everything I have taught you. You see, when we read that verse and we read that word, teaching them to obey, our minds immediately go back to the Greek way of learning, which is sort of what we've been raised in. The Greek way of learning was always about, there's a teacher, a professor, somebody who has knowledge, who is downloading it or imparting it to others. It's, it's, it's speaking and listening. But Jesus was in a Hebrew context. And the Hebrew way of learning was that you would go with the rabbi and he would show you. You would act your way into thinking. So as we talk this morning, as we talk about the text and what Paul's doing with Timothy, think about that Hebrew way. You know, um, uh, the text that we're going to talk about in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that Nicole read for us a few minutes ago, we have to begin to set the scene because here is Paul apprenticing Timothy. He, he's training him what it is that he's supposed to do. He's not just giving him information that he's supposed to memorize. He's actually instructing him in how to do things. And our purpose today is to help us to form a foundation that will enable us to pursue a relationship with God through being wise and making spiritual decisions, kind of like Karate Kid. Well, let's set the scene for Paul's relationship with Timothy and the text that we're in today. Come back with me to verse 1 through 5. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to paraphrase some of what was going on in that, uh, in that section. Timothy's in Ephesus. Paul's planted the church in Ephesus and has left Timothy there. Timothy has been an apprentice for a while because Paul has seen something in Timothy that he said, you know, I think God's marked out Timothy for future leadership. 
And so as Paul's gone on his mission trips, he's taken Timothy with him. He's taught him. He's trained him. He's enabled him and equipped him for ministry. And after planting the church in Ephesus, you can see some pictures here on the screen of ancient Ephesus. He leaves Timothy in charge of the church there. And he knows full well that it's not going to be all smooth sailing. So sure enough, somewhere down the road, he hears about what's going on in Ephesus. He hears about the false teaching that's going on. He hears about these people who, even in the name of God, are trying to lay a false foundation. And he writes, he writes this letter back to his apprentice, Timothy, and says, I want to give you encouragement. I want you to stand strong. And so I want to give you these five principles, he says, that will enable you to help God's people to forget what they're hearing from the way of the world and instead build a solid foundation so that every decision that they make, every action that they take will be rooted in the way of Jesus. So that's what I want to do as we look at verses 6 through 10 this morning. We'll, we'll go a little bit into 11 through 16 at the end, but primarily we're looking at verses 6 through 10. And I want to give us five principles this morning that talk about um, what Paul was teaching Timothy. So here's the first. Paul says to Timothy, one of the first principles you need to pay attention to is determining your priorities. He says it there in verses 7 and 8 have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, you can see I have a picture of a gym, a weight room here on the slide. Why is that? Because here in this text, as Paul is teaching Tim. He uses the word godliness. And when you unpack the word godliness, the root of that is the same as gymnasium. You see, back in those days, people would train to be physically fit. That was a, a very clear and usual metaphor. And Paul uses the same, same principle, the same practice. Hey, Timothy, I want you to take, take in mind the idea of going to the gym but realize that it's the same kind of practice in training yourself to be, to be godly. If you've been to the gym, if you like going to the gym, you know exactly what Paul's point is here. I think of the last six months in my life, and one of the things that's given me great joy in the midst of COVID is actually getting into the gym and working out. Now, I can't work out like I maybe could 30 years ago, but I, I'm doing my best, and it's been fun and I've gotten fit. And I tell you what, it's been really hard work. Uh, spend an hour, two hours uh, in the gym and you work hard and you're sweating and you come home and at 56, you're exhausted. And then you stop going to the gym for about three days and you lose all your fitness. Well, maybe it takes a little longer than three, but you know how hard it is to get fit and how long it takes and how quickly you lose it. And it doesn't matter how hard I work and how fit I get, I know that this, this body of mine is wearing out. There are parts that creak and groan, and every morning getting out of bed, everything just seems to take so long to get lubricated and get going. And Paul says to Timothy, you know that that's true. And it's not just true for me, it's true for all of us. And so he says, why is it that you spend so much time 
working out in the gym and fail to work out your spiritual life. Because working out in the gym certainly has benefits for now. I feel energetic. I, I need less sleep. I have more life left in me at the end of the day. But he says spiritual training. Spiritual training has value for all eternity. Spiritual training has the highest value for it never fades away. You don't get unfit. And for this life and the life to come, it's of the highest value. I got given a gift yesterday. As I'm teaching uh, through Forge in Wales, um, I've met a whole bunch of people, but there's so many people on the Zoom, about 70 or so people on the Zoom. You don't really get to know them. But one woman sent me an email and said, I'd really appreciate a Zoom call with you. And so I thought, all right, it's part of my job. Here's what I need to do. And I got on this call yesterday with this woman from Wales. And I had the most delightful hour chatting with her over Zoom, learning so much. She was so bright. She went to Oxford University. Now, as soon as somebody says they've gone to Oxford, you know they're bright people. You don't get into Oxford if you, you know, sort of don't have a few gray cells in between your ears. And she said to me, she said, Cam, you know, one of the most amazing things about Oxford wasn't all of the content that they poured into you. It was the fact that they taught you to think. And I thought to myself, you know, that's one of the things that may be missing from some of our higher education right now. It seems to me that what we've done is we, we've taught people, I'm front of the line for this, we've taught people to learn how to access information when they need it so that we can go online and we can Google something or we know how to go find something if we need it. But we've lost the ability at some level to actually think. Her story continued and she began to tell me about how she made decisions in her life. And she actually told me about how she got married. And she said, you know, uh, my husband and I were both uh, Christians, and while we were at university, um, we got to be lab partners in the science class and got to know each other and became friends. But she said, to be honest, there was none of that emotional spark for either of us. And over time, as we grew uh, sort of as friends and intellectually together, we we just came to a point where we rationally believed, well, we should get married. She said, I know it's kind of bizarre, um, but there wasn't the emotional, emotional sense of it. It was, we made a decision more rationally, but she says, the good news of this is we didn't actually make the rational decision. The rational part led us to praying and believing this is what God had for us. She said, of course, all the emotions have followed. But we made a decision based on here's a process. We're thinking this through. And part of that thinking this through was to seek God's advice, to seek God's counsel. Friends, the bottom line for us in this first principle about uh, choosing or determining the right priorities, we need to learn to train ourselves spiritually, train ourselves to develop a spiritual foundation so that all of our actions and all of our thoughts, our decisions are made not by emotion, not even by rational thinking. They're made by a discernment that says, Lord, we surrender to you. 
Well, there's a second principle that Paul talks about with Timothy. We have to back up to verse six to begin to look at this one. He says, Timothy, I want you to have high standards. So he says in verse six, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Now, friends, when you hear the word minister, don't think of somebody who gets paid like I do to do a job. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about all of us, all of us who will set high standards for what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to disciple others. For you see, good minister means to be the best not compared to others. You don't compare yourself to others and think, well, I'm better than they are. That, that wasn't his point. His point was to be the best that you can be, that you were designed to be. As you were made in the image of God, you don't settle for getting by. No, you seek to be all that he intended for you to be. I remember coaching at Trinity years ago, had this kid on the team that was a good soccer player. And uh, in fact, he was probably the most skilled player on the team, but he used to drive me crazy because he only did enough to get by. He, he never sort of had this goal or set a standard of saying, I'm going to be the very best that I can possibly be, but he coasted. So Paul says to Timothy, and he says to us too, when it comes to spiritual training, are you doing enough to get by? Or do you give it your all? What are your standards? Well, here's the bottom line of the second principle. You see, we're all being discipled one way or the other. We're either being discipled or apprenticed into the way of Jesus, or if we're just doing enough to get by, chances are we're actually being discipled by the world. And when we're discipled by the world, we make decisions either from an emotional standpoint or a rational standpoint, and they always fall short. No, friends, what it means to set high standards is it's like weeding in your garden. You can either weed in your garden and just pull the tops off the weeds, leaving the roots in there, and you know full well what's going to happen in a couple more weeks. Actually, right now, the rate my weeds are growing a couple more days. Or you can set high standards, take a bit longer, work a bit harder, dig a little deeper, and get the roots out. And then there's a chance that now, instead of being discipled by the way of the world, we can be discipled in the way of Jesus. I remember as a 14-year-old having a violin teacher by the name of Arthur Polson. He, uh, he not only played in, in Winnipeg, but he became part of the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra and taught out here for a long time. And I remember Polson telling me that, Cam, if you're serious about being a violinist, you need to start practicing four hours a day. Well, I wasn't that serious. And although I love to play the violin, I didn't go on and become all that I maybe could have been because I liked soccer and I liked other things more. Well, there's the picture for us that Paul's saying to Timothy, set the bar high and go after it. Well, he gives him a third principle. Third principles right at the beginning of the text as well. In principle number three is all around proper nourishment. He says, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. And then look at that next word, nourished on the truths of the faith, 
and of the good teaching that you followed have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Okay, pause there for a second. So if we're going to set high standards, part of that is in what we're being nourished with. Now, when it comes to eating, we get the idea. We know full well that there's certain things we should eat, certain things we shouldn't eat in order to have the healthiest bodies. If we're in physical training, we are going to eat healthy food and not McDonald's and not Tim Hortons donuts and pizza and nachos and all that other kind of stuff. We're going to eat well. But Paul says to Timothy, it, it's not just eating. It's actually in the renewing of your mind the forming of your mind, your thought process, the laying of that foundation. And so he says, I want you to have nothing to do with old wives' tales or godless myths. Well, let me give you a couple of these. In fact, I'm going to pause just for a second and let you do the work. And you can throw it in the chat or you can just think of it in your mind. You'll see that there are five pictures here on this screen. Now, I don't know if you can associate some old wives' tales with each of these pictures. So the first one's a cup of coffee. Does anybody know any old wives' tales when it comes to a cup of coffee? Uh, isn't it said that a cup of coffee will stunt your growth? Well, of course, that's an old wives' tale. That's not true. Or if you come down to the bottom here, uh, this one with the gum. The old wives' tale is that if you swallow a piece of gum, you, uh, it'll stay in your system for seven years. Well, that's not true either. Okay, so I think I already saw somebody with the carrots. Carrots will eat lots of carrots and you'll improve your eyesight. Well, that's not true. It doesn't work like that. And speaking of eyesight, look at this girl up the top. If you go cross-eyed uh, too often, it'll get stuck that way. Well, no, that's not true either. But right in the middle is 10% of our brains. Uh, that's right, Graham, you've got it. It says that we only use 10% of our brains. Well, that's an old wives' tale also. That's not true. We have the capacity to use all of our brains. Now, it might be true that we do only use 10% of our brains, but we have much bigger capacity uh, than that. What's Paul saying in the midst of this? He's saying garbage in, garbage out. Craig read us a verse out of Philippians chapter four, a little bit earlier. Finally, brothers and sisters, what is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. The God of peace will be with you. Paul tells Timothy that he needs to nurture his mind, nourish his mind with words of faith, with truths about the faith, with good teaching, and not fill his mind with godless myths and old wives' tale. We feed babies mushy peas, carrots, and veggies. We don't give them nachos, fries, and ice cream. And the same is true with us. Question for you before we go on to the fourth. Would you know a good sermon versus a bad one? How? How would you know the difference? See, a good sermon is not based on whether you laugh or whether you like it. It's not even based on whether you agree or not. It's based on if it's true and if it points towards Jesus and it calls us to account for our actions that invites the Spirit of God to nourish us and to transform us into the very character of Christ.
So I said, we have to be careful that we stop eating junk food, spiritual junk food, and continue to nourish ourselves with good teaching. Well, here's principle four. Four and five are a little shorter and we'll move towards a close. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to work hard or work without reserve. He says it down in verse nine. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor and strive. Now, what's he mean by labor and strive? Does he mean we roll up our sleeves and we just are constantly at the church doing work? No, that's not it. He does want to tell us, though, that, you know, when we want to want to live in the way of Jesus and when we want to have our minds transformed and lay a foundation, it's not easy, but it's satisfying. I want you to picture a day when you're out in the garden. And you've set aside the entire day for being in the garden. And there's lots of work to do. It's a spring day and you're ready to go. And you work from dawn till dusk. You know what you feel like at the end of that day. You're exhausted. You're tired. You've given your all. But you look out over the backyard and you see beauty. And it feels good. And the next morning you wake up and maybe you're a little bit stiff for a day or two. But you're fresh and ready to go again. That's what Paul's after. He says, look, when, when you're training spiritually, don't give half-hearted efforts. It, it takes all of you. It's hard work. Put your mind to it and begin to be transformed. In fact, one, one commentator said it this way. If Christianity were a disease, most believers are inoculated with just enough to keep us from getting the real thing. So Paul says, get the real thing. Lay the real foundation. Put your shoulder to this. Put your, your whole heart into this and work hard because it's, the, it's not the kind of work that will kill you. It's the kind of work that will bring life to you. We'll hear principle five before we move to a close. Paul's given us these four principles and he moves towards the end in verse 10. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, I have one more principle that I think you need to live by. He says it in verse 10 like this. That's why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. What does he mean, put our hope? It means that as we work, as we train, as we lay this foundation, as we nourish our bodies with good teaching, our minds with good teaching, he says, we live with a preferred picture of the future. You know, if I want a certain house or a certain car, that preferred picture of the future will shape everything that I do. But if my preferred picture of the future is a deeper relationship with God, a determination to be obedient, that will shape my thinking and how I act according to that pursuit of a relationship with God. Paul's lived that way his whole life. Ever since he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, what does he say? He says, I press on to win the prize. We heard it in the song, May the Mind. I press on to win the prize for that which Christ Jesus has called me home. And so Paul would say to us, Cameron, Southside, Timothy, it's okay to set goals. We set goals in finances. We set goals in fitness. It's okay to set goals when it comes to our spiritual health. 
In fact, it's helpful, but set the goals in a way that we are moving towards that which Christ has called us to. Take some time in the rest of the week before Wednesday and read verses 11 to 16. Because in 11 to 16, he gives some imperatives, not only to Timothy, but to us. Teach these things, he says. Set an example. Devote yourselves. Do not neglect. Be diligent. Watch your life and doctrine. These are practices by which we put these principles into play. Southside, when we learn to love God with all of our minds, it doesn't just mean we think properly. It starts there, but we put that thinking into action so that our wills are surrendered to him and all of our thoughts and all of our actions are built on a foundation that says he is the way, truth, and the life. May God be praised by us following in the footsteps of Jesus as apprentices of him.